the Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer, near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. On round one, Mitzi Hunter is here, former Liberal MPP and mayoral candidate. Amanda Galbraith, principal at Navigator, host of Free for All Fridays, and the person of the hour, Shelley Carroll, Toronto's budget chief, is here. So I'll start with you, Shelley. Um, I keep on coming back to the famous lyric, we got to make a decision, leave tonight or live and die this way. <laughs> we got to either raise taxes in Toronto or figure out what services we can do without. Where are we going? Well, we, we've already uh, figured out what services we can do without, and people feel that every day. You know, uh, People want a world-class city, and that means you don't want to get halfway home and then the streetcar has to turn around because we don't have enough vehicles, things like that, right. that, uh, that are, people are noticing, palpably noticing. And so what we're looking at is uh, it's not just a matter of, oh, they're going to tax me more, but are we using the right ones? And we know from looking globally at every big city that we're not using the right ones Property tax just doesn't cut it once you reach a, a city of $3 million. Well, and what is one point in property taxes? What, $40 million? It, yeah, it gets you a little under $40 million. And and what we have right now is a, a hole that is really around a billion dollars. And so, uh, and it's it's been that way. This isn't even really just a COVID problem. Uh, we've had an inadequate formula to sustain the city really since amalgamation. You'll remember Mayor Lastman saying, hey, wait a minute, you said it would be cost neutral. And it's not. Uh, David Miller uh, tried to get uh, things going and, and achieved getting the City of Toronto Act with the, the government of that day under Dalton McGuinty. Um, the report we're looking at today was ordered by John Tory because he has been struggling with the sustainability of the city. And so he, he ordered okay, this report so what, along what with council you, in February. What tax do you favor then? Well, we asked uh, staff to look at, at, at ones that we have the power to collect right now under the City of Toronto Act, but not to limit themselves. To look at everything, all the way up to and including the the one cent sales tax that has been discussed in the past, but we don't currently have permission for. And so, what we what you're going to see is a report that looks at all of those things and tells us how those types of tools do sustain other cities, both in hard times such as we're seeing now economically, but more importantly, that we're able to rebuild our reserves when you're in a boom time. The city has not had that ability ever, and a big city really needs to be able to tuck money away in the good times. And we have none of the tools you need to be able to do that. And nor can you collect them from the people who can afford that. Okay. Mitzi Hunter, obviously you were marinating in this stuff for months while you were running for mayor. So what do you see? Yeah, this is the, the other shoe dropping here for the city of Toronto, and uh, and I agree with uh, with Shelley that we don't have the amount of revenue that we need to run a big city, a big complex city like Toronto. I think we have to also be careful about what times we are in because I I don't sense that these are economic boom times for us. I actually sense that we haven't really seen the the full recovery of our downtown post-COVID. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's inflationary time. So families and homeowners are really feeling that pinch. So, you know, I, I, I appreciate that the city is advancing this report on revenue tools. It's a conversation that we have to have. It's a difficult conversation. And there are some things in the toolkit that could yield revenue, the vacancy tax, the uh, wealth tax on, on you know, 
very expensive homes and also, um, you know, maybe taking up some of the room that the province has left in terms of a vehicular tax um, for, for permitting cars that drive in the city. And, you know, there are some things, but I don't see it as um, as, as a sort of silver bullet. I still believe there's going to have to be a conversation with the other orders of government provincially and federally about how they share the tax revenue with cities. Big cities like Toronto need more tools. Okay, Amanda Galbraith, um, you're still paying taxes in Toronto. You still have a residence here, even if you live elsewhere. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm here most of the time. So yeah, yeah. No, I'm absolutely a resident of the city and, and pay my taxes here. Uh, and listen, vehicle registration taxes and vacant home taxes, I mean, they're all, candidly, they're all screwing around at the margins. Like, it's not yeah. going to be enough to, to do. Like, you need a substantive change. So if that is... A sales tax. I favor and have long favored um, road tolls. I think it's user pay. Right, but the I province says it, no. I know they say no, and I like I was. They said no, like said yes, and then said no last time. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to watch. I think at the end of the day, um, we'll take money from reserves, which I understand is pretty much already there to cover the whole this year. Um, and my guess is this conversation will be continuing um, into the next. Yeah, well, I'm kind of like the next uh, thing that we move into, which is transit. We've been talking about transit for 150 years in Toronto. And uh, actually, Amanda, I'll start with you. Uh, it looks like the Scarborough RT is dead, which kind of pooches Scarborough. Yeah, this was predictable. But I mean, the Scarborough RT has been like dying for a decade. I mean, that thing's held together with popsicle sticks and glue. Yes. It is a uh, thank you miracle, <laughs> a miracle that it ran as long as it did. And it absolutely sucks for Scarborough. It totally does. Scarborough gets the short end of the stick um, when it comes to transit, um, when it comes to fund, like, you know, they've had that amazing campaign around funding their hospital, but historically they got way less money to fund their hospitals. Um, I think that if anything, anything, we should focus a lot of our efforts there. I'm sure Mitzi has lots of perspective on that given she's from Scarborough. Um, but yeah, it is, it's ridiculous. It's also not safe. Like the thing actually should not be running. Right. Um, so predictable, unsafe and sorry for Scarborough, but they should, they should put a fork in it and, and say goodbye to their team. Okay. Well, Mitzi, I'll turn to you. And I just want to assert something I've said on many occasions on the show, which is, I think one of the problems with transit in Scarborough is we think that all people in Scarborough merely want to be in downtown Toronto when maybe they just would like to go grocery shopping on yes. transit in Scarborough. Sure. You know, that's what I used to do. You know, 30 years ago, I used to take this RTE and it squealed then. And it's amazing that it is now at its end of life and the actual cars are pulling off the tracks. What do we need to get attention to advance the investments that are needed for better transit in Scarborough. And we know it's going to have to be buses and we're hoping that it's, you know, good um, planned out, dedicated right of way buses, um, pr preferably on the existing track once that's decommissioned. And it's going to require some investment from the city. There's just no question about it. This transit system, the SRT, is beyond its useful life. It's not just popsicle sticks and glue. I'm pretty sure I've seen duct tape. So we <laughs> have to just let it go. I, you know, I get that the timing should have been November, but 
the the system speaking to us which parent is going to let their kid go back on that system after it's jumped the track i just don't see it happening yeah the problem is to put it back on the track would be spending money cuz you know when it, when something falls off the track you know you're going to have to spend money to repair it do you want to spend money for for 6 weeks of service uh, that's cuz that's basically what it would be anyone who who goes if you don't live in scarborough and you haven't been out there for a while then you're you're not aware of how much progress is being made on the building of the subway and that's what residents of scarborough said they wanted they said they wanted a subway uh, the original plan was so to, where are we to put an LRT on the, the RT tracks and, right. and update it there. Instead, they wanted a subway. But the good news is, if you drive out right now to Shepherd and McCowan, the end of the line, you will see a massive amount of construction underway. That station is well underway, and the tunneling is beginning. That that subway is all hands to the pumps, and they're, they're, they're being uh, permitted to work every hour of the day. And so the decommissioning of the RT comes in November. But those who live in Scarborough see the subway coming. They're, they're driving through the construction sites. So there is excitement about that. What's going to be the, the trick is making sure that those key places like Scarborough U of T campus and things like that, that people can efficiently get to them. And they haven't had adequate bus service up until now. Nowhere near the service that always flowed to York University. And so there's an opportunity here to make sure that we're enhancing that system and getting more vehicles out there. Priority red painted lanes are, are working well out in the Morningside area. Can we use those throughout Scarborough to make sure that that the bus becomes a, a preferred way to, to travel throughout the subway construction? And please, please, please Metrolinx, get that subway done as fast as humanly possible. Hopefully faster than the Crosstown construction. What tragic news that in British Columbia, the number one cause of death for children between the ages of 10 to 18 is drug overdoses. Uh, Mitzi Hunter, you know, it, uh, this displaces accidents and suicide and it's just, you know, uh, more evidence of how to control this drug ep epidemic is. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely tragic. It, it is a public health crisis and emergency. And, you know, it, it really speaks to the state of, of young people and now children in, in our society who are getting access uh, to these very dangerous drugs and, um, and it's playing out. So, you know, I believe that this alarm has been sounded and uh, I'm sure that there has to be a, a public health response The children's hospitals, the, the provinces, ministers of health. We've got to do something to, to support families and to support children and to prevent this from happening in the first place. And Amanda, let's reemphasize the age bracket I just gave you is 10 to 18. We've got 10 year olds who are dry, dying of drug overdoses. Yeah, it's outrageous. It's it's outrageous. Uh, to my mind, it's what happens, frankly, when you decriminalize and you make it widely available. Like this is like if you look at the incidents of Portugal, where they did this ten years ago, they're now thinking again about that process. I I do not think I think we need to deal with 
with drug addiction, it is a disease. Um, but I think the path that we're on right now as a country, as a city, uh, concerns me and troubles me deeply. BC is always a bit of a canary in the coal mine for the rest of the country. Yeah. The drug issues there, they come, they start west and they come over way. So like buckle up Toronto, um, this is coming to us. And the way we're treating these, and I'm not going to, I know I'm, this is my hobby horse right now, but these supervised injection sites around the community um, within the sites, I think is not feasible. And it is not a path that I think we want to go down, given what's happening in BC right now. Well, except that there is a school of thought that says that when you do decriminalize or, or even legalize, you then have control of what the supply is. Um, those children are doing what all teenagers do, which is experiment. But it's too dangerous to experiment now because they're dying, the country, Shelley. They're not have, experimenting. Yes. They're dying. No, but they're experimenting with drugs, thinking they're safe, when in fact we have a toxic drug supply, especially in the black market. We so have let's a make it publicly toxic- available. No, let's make it regulated so that it's not toxic anymore. We need to know what's going on. No one's dying of what they're buying in a in a cannabis shop, for instance, because we know what's in that product. We have a toxic black market supply, and we have to get control of that. We need law enforcement to be on top of that, public health to be on top of that, and parents need to know that they need to say to their kids, you can't as a teenager experiment with drugs the way, you know, to be honest, I did as a teenager in the 70s. You can't because it's a toxic supply. But yeah, we, also, respect, we, we can't compare. You can't compare the addiction properties, the impact of weed, compared to heroin and opioids. I mean, like we can't have the, opioid shops setting up. That is bananas. No, I'm not saying we should, but we need to get to the point where we have some regulation and some way to clean up that supply. Okay. And 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 that's that's the 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 key thing. These aren't drug addicts at the age of ten. These are experimenters who are experimenting with something they don't realize is lethal. Great discussion, and I would love to continue it, but we will have to do that as another chapter. My thanks to Amanda Galbraith, Shelley Carroll, and Mitzi Hunter. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.